Do you remember? But I have Twitter. It's uh, at Galwinter2. And I suspect that Galwinter and Galwinter1 are a false attempt made by me <laughs> to create a username. <laughs> Welcome back, you're listening to In Situ Science, where each episode we get to know a different scientist and find out what a life in science is really like. I'm your host James O'Hanlon, and this episode I'm joined by molecular biologist, microbiologist, and food scientist Gal Winter. Gal, thanks for having me here in your office. Oh, thanks for coming. <laughs> now, I want to ask straight up, what on earth is the gut-brain axis? <laughs> <laughs> Straight up. Yes. Ah, oh, well, um, you know that we have microbes yes. that reside in our guts. Yes. You know how many we have? A lot. Yes, <laughs> like billiards of them. Okay. Uh, now, and what we discovered lately is that these microbes not only um, affect how we digest food and our metabolism, but they directly communicate with our brain. So they can do it in several ways. They can either, um, or I should say first that, you know, clearly there is a gut-brain communication in our body. You know, well, it's what signals you when you're hungry, <laughs> okay, yeah, for example, and um, or when you're full. Mm -hmm. There is a communication happening between the gut and the brain. Yeah. And yeah, now the microbes uh, can influence that communication. And they can influence it by either directly um, communicating with uh, cells in the gut mm -hmm. that then stimulate nerves that go all the way to the brain, mm -hmm. or they can uh, influence it in other ways. So, for example, they can produce compounds. So microbes, as they grow, they release different compounds to the environment. Mm -hmm. In this case, the environment is the gut. Mm -hmm. And then the compounds that they release um, actually make their way up to um, affect the brain. Through, through nerve impulses uh, from other cells in through, the gut? Or? Even through the circulation and then crossing the blood-brain barrier. Okay. okay, so that's one example. Or you can have a um, longer, more indirect process happening where the microbes will stimulate the production like the microbes will produce a compound and then that compound will stimulate the production of a certain hormone. All right. And then that will influence uh, brain processes. Yeah. So they're not communicating directly with the brain. There's a long pathway yeah, of yeah, yeah. signals going on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, the link is very clear and that's really, really cool. And okay. you can say... You can see different uh, microbial populations that are uh, associated with different, um, even brain disease, okay. brain condition. And it's hard to say, you know, people always ask, oh, so what are the good microbes? Mm -hmm. No, and it's hard to say what are the good microbes, but as a general rule, you can say that the more microbes that you have, so the richer your micro, gut microbiota is, and mm -hmm. the more diverse, the better. Okay. So most of the disease conditions are associated with lower richness and lower diversity. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, so when you're talking about particular microbes being associated with 
brain disease. You're not talking about bad microbes causing no, a disease. No, no, no. So the other way around. Yeah. So they actually have a role in protecting. Mm-hmm. So um, there are microbes that cause disease, and I think we all know too much about those microbes. Yeah. And not the microbes that actually sustain us and keep us alive and healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but. What is clear today is that we need a strong population of mm-hmm. microbes in order for everything to work properly. And when we lose that diversity, that's when we start to have problems. Okay. So you're saying that people always ask about what the good ones are. It's not they're necessarily all, about yeah. good ones. No, they're all good. <laughs> yeah. You just have a community of them. Yes. Yeah. So you just need to work on... Um, get a larger population mm. and more diverse population of microbes. So, so I think this is the general guideline. Mm. So what's the, do we know what like a causal link is then between having oh. particular microbial communities and what's going on with something like your brain for a non-human researcher like me, that doesn't seem well, obvious. The causal issue is uh, probably you know, the million dollar question that we don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it just so happened that we just published a paper. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) um, About... You have right here on your desk. Yeah, yeah. It seriously (laughs) was uh, published yesterday. (laughs) This uh, got my chromium and depression. Wow. All right. Yeah. (laughs) So um, this is exactly the question that we ask in this paper. What Mm. happens first? Are you depressed and then your microbiota is changing or or your microbiota is changing and then you get depression as a result okay Um, and it's a super interesting question Mm -hmm. and we kind of approach this issue by looking at different um, different uh, scenarios Mm -hmm. you know so like scenario one hypothesis one is that it's a brain to gut effect you know, you hear something that upsets you, and then you're all sad and depressed, and then your microbiota changes. Mm-hmm. And there are evidence in the literature that support that. Mm-hmm. So you do that like with animal experiment, you get some sort of um, anxiety model or depression model, mm-hmm. and you see that their microbiota is changing. Mm-hmm. Um or you can go the other way. So that's hypothesis one, which is plausible. And hypothesis two is the other way around. Mm-hmm. Your gut microbiota is changing, and then that would lead to uh, changes in the brain. Mm-hmm. Now, here, there are also evidence that support that. Okay. Again, with um, experiments in animal models where you change uh, the microbiota, and then that leads to uh, further changes. Uh, so, the conclusion is that they're both plausible. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, I guess... Why, why would your microbiota change in response to what's happening in your brain? I can kind of understand if your gut microbiome is not at its best, then that would have flow-on physiological yeah. effects. But why would your mood trigger... So you think of, okay, here's where you need to start thinking of microbes yes. as a community. Mm-hmm. And in that community, you have different interests. Mm-hmm. Okay? So um, 
<laughs> I like to use Game of Thrones as an Good. analogy. Something we can all understand. <laughs> so you have a kingdom, right? Yeah. And in that it's kingdom, Westeros. In yes. My gut. And you have lots of groups yes. in there, and they have competing interests. But at the end, they all want the same thing. They all want power, mm -hmm. right? So with a microbial community, you think it's very similar. So you have different microbial groups, mm -hmm. okay? And they're all after uh, the same thing. It's not really power, but it's more uh, propagation, I mm -hmm. guess, to live and prosper, occupate as much as the gut. Yep. Well, um, now, um, the layout of the groups, pretty much like in Westeros, is dictated by the environment. Yeah. Okay? So, think about it. If we continue with Westeros... Yes, good. I like this. <laughs> if winter is coming, <laughs> who gets the advantage? Okay, yeah. Okay? And if, winter is... If winter is coming, who who is the most fitted to survive. Okay, and in this analogy, winter is some sort of illness uh, Winter or... could be anything. It could even be... Um, it could even be change of diet. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Um, so, we say if winter is coming, then the north people have the advantage because they're suited for the weather and they yeah. can, you know... Um, deal with this. With the frost zombies? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, whereas the people in the uh, south are less suited. So if there's winter in all of Westeros, mm -hmm. the north will dominate. Yeah. So it's the same with your uh, microbiota, the way they respond to the environment. Mm -hmm. So think about it if your gut, this is like a small environment, yeah. ecosystem, and um, you are kind of responsible for it and you have the power to change it. Mm -hmm. So winter is coming, that could be your nutrition. Yeah. Okay, maybe all of a sudden you eat lots of fibers, yeah. something like that. And then you give a huge advantage for the population that... Um, in the red keep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that uses fiber, yeah. uses these fibers uh, to grow yeah. as food. Okay? Okay. So, yeah? Yes. You kind of look at me a bit funny. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's just complicated, that's... Oh, it's extremely complicated. Yeah. It's extremely complicated. And there are thousands and thousands of groups. And within each group, there are thousands of yeah. groups. Uh, but um, to go back to the depression... Yeah. Um, so, if, let's say, through my... Um, through brain behavior, uh, your stress, mm -hmm. then your whole body responds to the stress, mm -hmm. right? And then that changes the environment in the gut. All right. And then that change will uh, favor certain microbes over other. Okay. Okay. Now, if if your environment or if you know the conditions are so um, constant, or you know, if the change is so massive, mm -hmm. for example, then you can wipe out entire populations yeah. of microbes and then you lose that precious uh, diversity yeah. that we always want. So how do you then get back from that? Is it not just a downward spiral of uh, getting more depressed from having a healthy gut? <laughs> <and what's> the... <laughs> well, 
how do you get back to it? There are many things that have been shown to increase diversity. I think the most important is food. Mm-hmm. So if you, um, you know, if you have diverse diet and you eat fibers and um, foods from all groups like that, uh, then you give rise to different populations. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, many, pretty much everything that you do will have an effect on the microbiome. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we have a student that is looking at the effect of exercise on mm-hmm. the microbiome. Um, And so far in the literature, it's been shown to increase diversity and increase richness that uh, different types of um, exercise. Uh, So that's another way Mm -hmm. you can. Um, They are all the probiotics, prebiotics, (laughs) (laughs) all these to increase. So what's the difference? (laughs) I mean, my understanding of probiotics too was that they're sort of a very small number of strains rather than being a diverse mm. group yeah. of things that you want. Um, that's the, pro- the probiotic cure? that you know that you can get in the market yeah. today and that's because these were the strains that I believe were able to be cultured and propagated. Um, today with what we know about the microbiome um, millions of groups are working mm. on finding you know the next probiotic <laughs> and all that so um, I suspect the probiotic market will be far more diverse <laughs> in the next couple of years um, yeah when you take probiotics um, you don't really know you kind of you need for the bacteria to uh, to make their way through the digestive tract and mm-hmm. gastrointestinal tract and then get into the colon environment, which is a really difficult journey for mm-hmm. the microbes because it's full of uh, incredibly difficult conditions mm-hmm. uh, that are, I don't know if they're designed, but have the capacity to kill them on the yeah. process or they're <laughs> exposed to, you know, extreme differences in pH and yeah. very acidic conditions and all that bowel movement and Mm. everything Uh, so they have to make their way stay alive and then also um, colonize starts to you know find their place and multiply and multiply and grow Mm. Um, so far there are a few studies that actually show that they're able to do that Mm. but um, it's it's a bit of a mystery how much of the probiotics that you take actually. Yeah. Probably just being healthy and having a good diet. Yeah. Better approach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, it's the same answer to everything. <laughs> you know, be healthy, eat well, do exercise. <laughs> but even then, I feel like, I don't know if you feel this way because you're in the field, but of all fields, nutrition seems to be the most sort of impenetrable and contradictory of itself as an outsider learning about it. Yeah, oh, it's worse on the inside. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I teach nutrition. Yeah. And um, I think there's a general consensus about the basics of nutrition. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what are carbohydrates, proteins, and all that basic metabolic processes. Yeah. but then everything above that is, um, how should I say it, 
you can find a lot of contradictory yeah. information, <laughs> like hips. And um, so one of the units that I teach is a third year unit. Mm -hmm. And it's um, we have a module there that will look at all the fed diets mm -hmm. out there today. And um, they all, so... I don't know if you're talking about your paleo diet. And yeah, your like paleo diet, and... Atkins diet, ketogenic diet, which is a version of the Atkins diet, <laughs> really. Um, fasting, yeah. uh, all that. And the thing is, they all have scientific logic behind mm. them. And they all have evidence that support. So yeah. if you look at it just, you know, through, through uh, pure scientific eyes, yeah. you can find supporting evidence to almost all of the popular fat diet. Mm -hmm. um, but when you compare them, mm -hmm. you see the same outcomes. So other studies that say, for example, looked at um, people trying eight different types of diets, mm -hmm. they all reach the same outcome in terms of weight loss and mm -hmm. um, different uh, health parameters. So, again, I think the conclusion is just, you know, I think there are very simple basic principles and everything else is just minor tweaks. <laughs> but it, you know, as a person working in the field, then, are you just the healthiest person on the planet then? Because you, know, you have all the completely objective information there. How easy is it to decipher this at a personal level? I'm a lot healthier today than I used to. <laughs> before, before teaching nutrition. Um, so I think I eat better. Um, but I still, I consider, well, <laughs> consider myself pretty lucky because, um, so I come from Israel, mm -hmm. uh, pretty much eat like Mediterranean, Middle Eastern diet. Then mm. it's like one of the recommended routines. So yeah. I eat a lot of uh, fresh, healthy stuff anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas uh, I think Australians kind of struggle with it. <laughs> Particularly in a place like where we are, so, you know, but it's got that reputation as being an agricultural town with yeah, lots of big yeah, steakhouses yeah. and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, I, I like when we moved to Australia. I had a bit of a shock. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, it's that different. Ah, right? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, just in the lack of um, you know fresh stuff. Mm. Uh, we, we, I feel like Australians try and pride themselves on the availability of fresh things and their sort of agricultural heritage and stuff. Oh, but, well, the availability... Yeah. Well, I don't know if the availability is that great. I think it's pretty expensive. Mm -hmm. Like, it's definitely would be twice, I think, if not more, mm. expensive, let's say, to feed your family on healthy food or just get frozen stuff. Yeah. And all that. So I don't know um, about availability. It's very good. Like, <laughs> like all the agricultural products is really, really good. Um, yeah. But. Sorry, so you don't have any uh, super secret tips then for. Eating healthy, it's, it's, you're just saying it's, it's quite complex and no uh, one diet is. 
No, I think the key I think everything. the opposite. I think it's quite simple. Okay. <laughs> I think you know it's it's the same basic rules. Eat yeah. fresh. Yeah. Uh, don't eat a lot of processed food. Yeah. That's pretty much the key in every diet. Mm-hmm. Um, and diverse. Good. Yeah. That's about it. And then you know, try to get um, all your vitamins and stuff from. Mm. Um, fresh produce rather than taking a pill that's (laughs) it's really in a modern society we should be as healthfully as can be humanly possible because such diverse foods are so readily available you know in the past if you're living in a little agricultural town you had the one staple food source yeah, but you know that, um, and I didn't know that actually until I started teaching nutrition. <laughs> um, and I shouldn't say Australia because that data is actually coming from the US, but I suspect Australia is not that far. Mm-hmm. If we stop, like if governments would stop or companies would stop enriching the food with vitamins, no. almost everyone would be uh, deficient. Okay. So the food that we eat, yeah. even though we have, you know, obesity and yeah. all that, so we eat a lot more energy. But um, it's not enough, like, it's almost like we strip the nutrient out of the food and then we eat it. <laughs> but through, through being the processing crops sort yeah. of things? Or? Yeah, yeah. So, and I didn't realize how much of our food is actually enriched with vitamin. I had no idea. No. Yeah. So, I'm flour, for right example, <laughs> flour, for example, is enriched uh, with folate, mm-hmm. and I think with other stuff, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And if if that's not the case, like if they'd stop doing that, mm-hmm. you would have. Um, um, Oh, and I can't remember the numbers, but many, many more cases of folate deficiency. Okay. And that was linked with um, uh, deformations in uh, babies mm. that were born, um, for example. Uh, and it's pretty shocking that today, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a, a result of the actual just packaging and processing or the fact we've grown weird Frankenstein crops Uh, No, this is actually the processing. Okay. So basically in the processing, especially of flour, it's pretty much stripped from all the nutrients. Mm -hmm. Everything is removed. And then uh, we add synthetic vitamins (laughs) (laughs) that are likely manufactured in a facility in China that if you had actually seen it, you would want to eat anything in it. <laughs> so that's why we should go for whole grain things and as much. Yeah, but even the whole to... grain stuff. Oh, is, really? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's still been processed a lot. Yeah, so most of the stuff, if you just like get whole grain flour in the supermarket. Yeah. So it's basically, it's, it's went through the whole processing, yeah. so filtered out to white flour, but then they just kept some of the bread okay. outside and then added to okay. it. <laughs> so we're beyond help is what you're trying to tell me. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, kind of, yes. 
<laughs> no, I don't know. It sometimes it it actually you know it's it's um, it's scary to think where we are. Yeah. And um, yeah, you know the fact that you know you can have a perfectly healthy diet and mm-hmm. all that, but still be deficient. Yeah. That's scary. <laughs> But you didn't always work on nutrition and gut microbiome health and all that sort of stuff. Yes. <laughs> you started off more looking at food productions and things, right? Yeah. Or... So I always, I always loved food. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I think. And then when uh, time came and I kind of felt like I need to go to university, mm-hmm. uh, get a degree, I really, I didn't know what. I didn't have any background in science mm-hmm. before that, but I thought, oh, well, I like food. I'll go <laughs> Good. study uh, biochemistry and uh, food science. And then um, through that, I kind of discovered biology, biochemistry, mm-hmm. uh, molecular biology, and I really liked that. Um, so I kind of continued still in the area of food, but more food microbiology. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, I did my master's working on uh, yeast mm-hmm. um, and looking at um, yeast uh, cellular biology, like looking at the molecular level, but mm-hmm. also um, like my topic was um, food preservation, like okay. from yeast spoilage. Yeah. So you still need to understand how they work, but mm. you just want to prevent them yeah, yeah, yeah. from growth. Um, yeah, and that was really, I really loved it and I loved working with yeast. Uh, so I continued with that, um, toward the PhD. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, um, we wanted, uh, me and my husband to explore life in Australia. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, um, I applied, um, to do a PhD at the Australian Wine Research Institute mm-hmm. uh, uh, that's in Adelaide and um, yeah and then we moved there and it was um, yeah so the stuff you did for your masters looking at yeast that was looking at the fermentation process or is that uh, so that was the... more looking at the yeast uh, cellular biology yeah. um, and then my PhD stuff was also Looking at the fermentation process, but also uh, trying to manipulate the yeast. Um, so yeast ferment wine. Mm-hmm. They take the sugar in the grape and then they convert it to uh, alcohol, mm-hmm. so to ethanol and uh, carbon dioxide. But in the process, they um, they produce a lot of other compounds mm-hmm. to the wine. So if you you know if you taste grape juice and if you taste wine they taste completely different <laughs> yep, got it. and they're different is because of the yeast okay. that's the only factor really yeah. that changes the um the chemistry mm-hmm. of the grape juice um so what the the compounds that the yeast will uh secrete to the wine they can really affect the wine quality okay. so they can make it you know a really good wine you know and you're like mm, and, oh it's fruity and it's good <laughs> or they can make it really horrible you know how sometimes you drink wine and you're like oh yeah, yeah. smells like 
vomit or, you know, <laughs> smells like cat pee or stuff like that. I'm not that picky with my wines. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so my project was um, how to get the yeast to produce more of the nicer compounds okay. and not the stinky compounds. So people might not even realize how much science and research goes into wine. Oh, Because you're based God. at the Wine Research Institute. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of money and stuff that goes on. Yeah. <laughs> wine is very important, <laughs> clearly. Just like food, right? Yeah. Well, it is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's, um, there's a lot of research going into wine. Mm. Even... Even I think for the um, for the natural wine, mm. so I don't know if I should go on about wines, but it's fine. <laughs> so so um, basically, think of it: if you're like a big company, you mm. know, and you produce tons of bottles, you want to maintain consistency, mm-hmm. and you want the fermentation process to go well. Yeah, it's you know, it's a factory. You want yeah. it to go well. So you need to make sure that you have, um, for example, yeast that are able to do the job, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that are able to take it through the whole fermentation process. Yeah. Because um, we start off with quite a lot of sugar in the grapes, mm-hmm. and then um, the yeast have to metabolize all this sugar. And if the fermentation gets stuck in the middle, mm-hmm. then you don't really have wine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you still have grape juice. Yeah. So you want to make sure that the process goes all the way to the end and you want to make sure that the process is the same mm-hmm. every time because when you buy a bottle of wine, you expect a certain flavor. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of research going into it and um, designing specific yeasts and then there are yeast companies that uh, sell them to mm-hmm. winemakers and... Um, Different grape will require a different style, mm-hmm. or different wine will require a different style, and there's um, a whole field of research yeah. <laughs> aimed just for this uh, process. And that's without even going through the sensory side of wine, mm. which is also a huge discipline by itself. <laughs> so, uh, to surprise that wine's that big an industry that it supports so much research improving mm. its product and it's almost like this wonderful case of research that goes directly into products but also lots of fundamental discoveries about microbiology comes from that and not only microbiology it mm. can also so in the particular case of yeast mm. a lot of fundamental research um, was done for you know microbiology or biotech processes also mm-hmm. has medical effects yeah. because the yeasts are um, eukaryote, mm-hmm. which means every single yeast cell is very similar to every cell that we have in our body. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the basic mechanism that are discovered um, in regards to wine fermentation are also true for metabolism. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. It's kind of... Um, and I had that in my PhD. Uh, so I was looking at avoiding um, the stinky compounds. Mm-hmm. So trying to get yeast not to produce them. Sure. And then um, I looked at a very specific metabolic pathway. And then um, that had to do with uh, sulfur metabolism inside the yeast cell. 
and um, I did uh, genetic characterization of uh, different genes that are involved in this pathway. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of genes that we didn't know are related to this pathway, now connecting them okay. to this pathway. But because the yeast is a model organism, um, my, the, the information that I discovered later, people that are doing medical research on the pathway of sulfur metabolism mm-hmm. are able to use this information and um, make conclusions on sulfur metabolism in humans. Okay. Okay, which uh, is actually connected to several medical conditions. Okay. Okay. So it's very cool because I published uh, a paper, for example, in uh, you know a general wine journal. Mm-hmm. But then um, it's been picked up by other people, and mm-hmm. they make use of this information for other very, very different things. Yeah. And yeah. When, when do people metabolize sulfur? How does that happen? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, sulfur is very essential. We have two sulfur amino acids, mm-hmm. uh, methionine and cysteine. Okay. And we also have... Um, sulfur-containing uh, tree peptide called glutathione. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of it? No. No? Oh, <laughs> man, it's, it's all the rage. <laughs> so, um, so, all of these are very, very important. So, glutathione, for example, is used... We have that in every cell in mm-hmm. our body, and it's used a lot um, to provide... Um, What's the word? Detoxification. Uh, right. So it can bind a toxic molecule and then support their excretion from mm-hmm. the cell. Um, in every protein that we have, we have uh, cysteine, for example, mm-hmm. which is a sulf- um, an amino acid that contains sulfur. Okay. And then with that sulfur molecule, it creates and stabilizes the structure of the protein. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have that or if you have any problem in the metabolism, then you have other proteins that are unable to function, okay. for example. Yeah. And then you have conditions of uh, protein aggregation, um, which leads to uh, all sorts of medical conditions. So, mm-hmm. for example, um, Alzheimer's disease. Oh, okay. Okay, so, um, yeah, it's very important stuff yeah. that is happening in uh, pretty much every cell in our body. Okay. Yeah. It's got to be a nice special feeling to think that your wine yeast research has such broad impacts. Yeah, well, no one <laughs> cured Alzheimer's yet. Well, but <laughs> yet, when they do. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, no, it's not, it's it's actually really nice. I mm. was very happy uh, to find something with um, more meaning. Yeah. It's not that like I think wine and food are extremely important, <laughs> but uh, it's nice to do um, work in one aspect and then it gets taken away to a different yeah. aspect and it's really cool. So how do you manage this getting rid of the smelly stuff in wines through yeast? Is it selective breeding strains or can we... Um, yes, yeah. you can do that. Um, so um, what I did, and it's funny, but this is... 
relating to food again, Good. it's um, changing the yeast nutrition. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, very similar. They're very similar to us, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when you eat something, you activate different pathways yeah. to um, metabolize mm -hmm. what you eat and also um, different pathways to... So, you need... In every cell, there are always, um, you know, breaking down processes mm -hmm. and also building up. Yeah. Because you need to synthesize new proteins, new DNA, new molecules. Mm -hmm. So you need um, <clears throat> nutrition to support it, yeah. break down and build up. Um, so I looked at different uh, nutrient and how they affect the, the yeast metabolism. Mm -hmm. And then that's something that, you know, winemakers can do. They can say, okay, well, I see that, you know, starting to get a bit stinky. I'll just add a whole heap of nitrogen. Yeah. And then I kind of shift the metabolism elsewhere. All right. Just in changing up that yeah. metabolic pathway yeah. the yeast yeah. is yeah. going through while they're fermenting. Things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I see that there's some, um, you know, I don't know, oxidative stress. I'll just add some um, glutathione and it will work mm. to that. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing how, you know, when you strip it down, it's all, it's all the same, you know? And it makes you wonder why there are bad wines then. Oh, <laughs> if we can heaps of work at it so methodically. Yeah, well, it's still a biological process. Yeah. And biological processes are very, very hard to prove. Yeah. <laughs> to, um, yeah, and yeah, why there are bad wines? I think heaps of reasons. <laughs> so to do this research, did you have to develop your wine palette? I did, <laughs> yeah, and it was very good. <laughs> even though, even though when I really uh, started focusing on the stinky compounds, on hydrogen sulfide, I had to work with it quite a lot. So, <laughs> kind of developed immunity. <laughs> you know, couldn't smell it anymore. <laughs> but yeah, that was definitely um, a good upside to doing a PhD on wine. Or it hasn't made a life harder for you now then? If you're more educated to what's good and what's not? Or, uh, no. So, um, or you're desensitized to bad ones. Is that... Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm definitely, I'm not a wine connoisseur at all. And um, working around people that most of them were wine connoisseurs, yeah, yeah. I feel very, very humble in my uh, palate. <laughs> so I'm not that, um, yeah, I'm not that great in like wine appreciation. I just enjoy drinking it, but I can't, you know... Um, go on describing it for like the an woody hour textures so. and the fruity aftertastes and yeah 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 <laughs> whereas other people that i worked with were able to do that and it was actually pretty amazing because yeah. everything they said actually matched the chemical analysis oh, yeah. oh that's good to hear i just yeah. always just assumed they were making it up yeah but. yeah you would think so but no no some of them are actually quite gifted in that <laughs> And I guess the, the big question is with this investment in wine, does it match up with your interest now in the microbiome? How does wine affect microbiomes? 
and is it part of a healthy diet? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, I, would lo- I would love to do this research. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm, I'm sure it affects the microbiome, mm. everything does. Mm-hmm. Um, well, alcohol surely got to have a bad effect, right? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> microbes can metabolize alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how it would affect the microbes. Um, there are definitely many health benefits for drinking wine mm. for all the antioxidants and the different anti-aging molecules. Um, <laughs> but um, I think, you know, there's also a good mental health benefit. <laughs> 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 Which, you know, is something that uh, it's, it's also important, you know, mm-hmm. you know, if it makes you feel good, then... Um, Helps with the depression and the yeah. effects that that has on your yeah. microbiome. It's yeah, all, all it's all interwoven. connected, yeah. yeah so, um, <laughs> without doing this research, I can say wine is good for all the right. microbiome. <laughs> You've heard it from an expert, folks. <laughs> <Go for it. laughs> well, I think that's probably a good point to finish <laughs> <laughs> but if uh, I should sprig this paper that just came out this week in uh, what's that what's reviews that? neuroscience reviews of neuroscience gut microbiome and depression what we know and what we need to know I didn't even see that when I was looking up your publications list before <laughs> it's brand new alright check yeah. it out <laughs> and if people want to find out more about your research you're on Twitter? Yes. Yes, at Galwinter2. Yes. Good. <laughs> and are you a frequent tweeter or? Oh, uh, I'm really trying. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how much time writing two sentences takes. Yeah. Day. Yeah. Um, not even writing, just reading. What oh, I'm yeah. Writing. Nobody reads <laughs> tweets. No. Yeah. So you see, I'm still, I'm struggling with that. <laughs> And it, when I first joined, and it described me as, it's like standing under a waterfall. You can't expect to grab every single droplet that falls. You just sort of go and you stand up for stand under it for a bit and then walk out again. Whatever yeah. you see, you see. Whatever you don't, you don't. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'll go with that because I yeah. kind of look at it, yeah, once a day or so. If I'm good, but not on the weekend. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for educating me on food and wine and nutrition. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And thank you guys for listening. If you want to find out more, you can check us out at ncgscience.com. We can be subscribed to on all good podcast apps. And we're on at ncgscience on social media. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network, aeon.net.au.